Thanks everyone for uh, joining. Hope you find this uh, podcast useful and interesting. Today I'm joined by David Cowland. David is a long-standing, has a long-standing career in compliance technology, having spent 10 years at Fidelity International designing and implementing their compliance technology strategy. David's now head of business consulting at the specialist financial services technology firm Eliga. David, welcome. Hi, David. Good to see you again. And, you too. Uh, looking forward to our, our discussion here ahead of the weekend well today we're, we're going to talk about regtech and compliance technology but more specifically how regtechs engage with firms so how do firms buy uh, what do we think is the best approach uh, to prove out the capabilities of these uh, regtechs and we'll cover some of these in, in some detail and hopefully i think for everyone listening this should be quite a, a useful insight into uh, some of those issues but maybe maybe to kind of kick things off i think for all of us on the kind of reg tech side we f- certainly for fairly complex products that we're um, selling into uh, financial services firms we tend to encounter quite lengthy sales cycles of sort of 12 to 18 months obviously being on on your side of things you know what why do you think that is what 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 is really drawing uh, that sales cycle out do you think um, I, I think it, 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 here goes the discussion. I mean, it's, um, there are many factors. I think if you've, got, if you've got someone like myself in an organization, then I'm front running um, things. So of course, if I contact you, I, I may be 12 to 18 months ahead of where you know, we, we actually want to buy something because I'm, I'm looking at the strategy, I'm looking at different things. I may be already running a reg tech program or project or the tech team are, are running it. And there's only so much change that you can do. And um, my, my job a little bit was was to, to bring those things in, get them up and running, then start looking at the next thing. Um, so sometimes you can end up with that cycle um, uh, taking a little while. Um, if you don't have someone like myself doing that, um, I think sometimes the reasons why it can take it, again, it depends on who's contacting you. Um, you know, if it's somebody in a role, facing a problem, has seen something, uh, seen something on LinkedIn, seen something in one of the, you know, that the press is thinking, oh, I want to reach out and starts reaching out, but it's a bit unorganized, Mm -hmm. but they may be a head of department, or they're just thinking we really need to get some technology in, you know, they start reaching out to you and they, they, they start the process and you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm in a situation of potentially being able to you know, sell um, a product into this company, but actually it's just that person and Mm. they spend the next sort of like 12 weeks talking to you. Maybe they want to do a pilot or a POC, but they haven't really gone any further. Um, They haven't brought in, um, you know, where the strategy is going. They maybe haven't brought in some of the seniors to see whether it's where it's going. And I've seen that happen a number of times, right? People Mm. running POCs and then they say, oh, well, I need to go and speak to my boss. And it's the first time their boss really hears about it. They're kind of aware that they were doing something, but the first time they've heard about it, the boss, maybe that's not their priority. And so you then lose another couple of months while somebody tries to persuade the boss, well, we should be doing this. And then the boss has to make sure that, you know, and then where are you in the budget cycle? Um, so is this where, is this where that there's just not a, is this where the, if you like the, the sales guy, the, the, the reg tech is just not, has not understood the, the strategy on uh, inside the firm or, or is it he doesn't understand or she doesn't understand the the actual buying process I mean, at what at what point do you think is best for them to kind of engage and well, what you're, is you're, it they need to know you're kind of assuming there is a very tech strategy right. <laughs> you know, i mean a lot of firms are driven by immediate priorities right so what, what is what is driving your priority um, and in, in the compliance space, there, there are a number of factors. There's something regulatory. So one of your regulators has come out and said something and it's affecting the whole industry. Mm-hmm. There might be something regulatory for you personally in your organization. You've found a gap or you've identified something yourself or you've had a visit from a regulator. And maybe that's that, you know, boosted the, the priority um, in terms of getting it fixed. Um, it could be the technology. The technology you're using is just coming to end of life. 
and, and, and those are all kind of very reactive. And if you're lucky, somebody is inside it with a strategy, understanding the new technologies that are coming along, understanding API frameworks, understanding the user journey rather than a siloed approach, and is starting to say, guys, using spreadsheets or siloed applications um, is no longer good enough. We need to start stitching this stuff together and making it more efficient. And by the way, compliance is changing and it's not all compliance officers, it's shared services, it's technology, it's chatbots. So it depends on what you've got, um, what angle it's coming from, I, su I, I suppose, and what is driving it. And, and organizations have you know, many, many different types, I suppose, coming in. And, and I would probably say still in the reg tech space, um, you know, it's not the revenue side of the business. Mm. Um, it's a lot, I would say, is being driven from a reactive point of view. Like we suddenly we need this because this has been spotted or the regulator has said this is becoming a priority. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, your front office tends to have more of that kind of business strategy towards revenue generation. Right. And, and so what, what's the, the interest in... Um, what about making the department more efficient, making the um, uh, the compliance team kind of more agile and, and, and being able to become um, perhaps more responsive to changes? Is there is that often a driver in some of the decisions around how that compliance technology strategy is pieced together? It, it, it definitely is. And, and I think you're seeing a lot of compliance um, departments Focusing on that. So if we if, if we think if we start thinking about the dynamics here, what is actually happening inside these companies? So on the buy side, you know, your often your compliance risk, legal departments are very much tied to the growth of the company. So that as you launch new products, as you go into new regions, new countries, you immediately start needing a new compliance officer, a new risk officer, a new legal officer. Um, and so the, the growth in compliance headcount is driven by the growth of the company um, as, 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 as that curve goes up. Um, they're often very busy as well. So it's very much, and it's always been quite a reactive area. Um, and, and that's where the, this is the chicken and egg kind of um, approach to things is how do you change, right? Compliance officers are often, you know, they're very much tied. You know, they've got superb knowledge of the regulations and what's going on, right? Superb business knowledge. They're called upon by the business. But it's often, as, just, as we like to say, it's quite reactive. It's always someone going and saying, well, why did this happen? Why did we not know about this? And I think it's easy to say, well, just get on the front foot. Just get technology to do the heavy lift. Stop cranking the handle for the data. Get the tech to start cranking that handle for you take away that heavy load from your compliance officers, get a kind of shared services, technology, virtual assistant model, and just start focusing on the business and going to the meetings and telling them what you know is going to be happening in the future. Easy. Mm. It's not. And, and, and it's hard to sort of make that. When you, if you've got a department with 100 compliance officers or whatever, a 1,000, depending on, you know, with buy side or sell side, it's not easy to make that transformation mm. overnight. And it takes... A lot of perseverance and someone with a, a lot of drive to change that and understand what the technology can bring and how the world is changing and what compliance should look like in the future. And what what is that gap that you're trying to close down then in order to get get them comfortable with the change? What what are the things that you know you would ordinarily see as um, points that you need to uh, uh, be able to convince compliance that, you know, if we can do this, then the payoff for you is this. And if we can do this, then the payoff is this. What is that gap that you're trying to close down? Uh, so I think a lot of compliance is about, often it's a lot about people. You know, we hire um, strong, experienced compliance officers with a track record um, of being in compliance. And so it tends to sort of sit the knowledge very much in someone's head. Mm. Um, at all levels, whether they've only been in the organization, you know, or they've only been in the compliance role for two years, or whether they've been there for 25 years. Mm -hmm. It tends to cement that knowledge in that individual, rather than taking a kind of process driven. And a lot of people often say, well, you can't process drive the compliance. It's about uh, context, which a lot of it is. But there is a lot where you can 
um, uh, you can take out the underlying heavy lift with with technology. You know, having all of your compliance officers all checking the FCA website every morning for ten minutes, and mm -hmm. that's twenty of them. Why have you spent two hundred minutes all looking at the same thing? Mm -hmm. Why do you just not put in a regulatory horizon scanning application that then feeds through to a compliance officer who you know can direct it to or the system directs it to the right person? Mm -hmm. um, so he's trying to get people to understand that and uh, don't uh, I suppose go out on a limb and say I don't think a lot of compliance departments are historically um, you, you don't tend to use the word compliance and technology in the same sentence mm. um, and I think compliance has got to become a lot more technical and that was one of the well, one of the things that, that, that I was doing was bringing that technology in into that space you know tech teams are great you know they'll, they'll deploy anything they'll they'll deliver a piece of technology you want but you have to have the compliance officers recognizing that 10%, 50% of their role could be done by a piece of technology or could be done better by a piece of technology, freeing them up to do something different. And given that growth curve that your company is clearly wanting to go on, you're always going to need those, but those people are not going to go away. Mm. You're just hoping not to have to hire loads more of them as the technology starts doing the heavy lift. So it's about getting the people to recognize the capabilities of technology and what you really hired them for in the first place, which was insight, mm. rather than grinding their way through um, a, a regulator's website or uh, through a spreadsheet trying to pull things together, let the tech do that, and then have the time of more time available to sort of pick out the the key points that you then can take to the business and be more proactive with the the insight and help the business as they're driving that revenue generation that you're look, all looking for. Yeah. And so, so when you're in that role, that compliance technology role, do you find, are you, are you pitching ideas to compliance? Are you, are you taking um, all of these ideas to them or are they coming to you and are they outlining problems that they have and they're look, actively looking for solutions? What's the, how does it work internally? It can, it can be a mixture. I think, um, again, when, because there are so many things going on in a compliance department, if you're up against something and someone's going, my God, this is not working, it's a problem, then you, it, it's kind of quite easy because someone's saying, solve this for me, this is not working. Mm. Um, so you can say, well, we need a piece of this reg tech to solve that problem. But I think generically, you're there as, you know, if you're in that kind of space that I, you know, I was in, you're there trying to scan the horizon of what is possible. Um, you then it's all about relationships, um, understanding what's going on in compliance. And mm -hmm. so when, you know, because teams are busy, right? They're busy day in, day out. Sometimes it takes a bit to step back and look up and go, well, why are we doing this like this? Yeah. And and it seems obvious when you, you know, look back in hindsight, why did we spend all our time doing all that? You know what? When we started it, it was organic. There were only two of us. Then it was four, then six, then eight, then 10. And now we're doing all this stuff manually. Whereas you, you look back, you go, well, we should have put something in place. But did you really want to put something in place for two people? Probably yeah. not. And you've got to have the time to step back and go, okay, guys, I think we can probably automate that process now. We can make that process better for you. And that's the kind of role that you have is you're looking across that landscape, understanding how the technology is changing, how the reg techs, the fintechs are really changing the landscape, how technology is really becoming an enabler now. The kind of open platforms, the APIs, the way that it start, they're starting to connect each other together. Mm. You're kind of bringing it along and going, well, you know, I can get this to you from this, this part over here because this part over here has got your data and then we'll put something in here and we'll connect it and flow it through and you won't have to drag the data from one to the other it will just flow mm. and so you're starting to bring the sort of design thinking elements into it you know trying to trying to show people that they're part they're not a silo anymore they should think about it as a user journey so if you look at the regulatory change Right. It all starts with that regulator contact, starts with the Red Horizon, obligations, policies, risks, you know, chatbot. It goes in a flow. Mm. But if you just look at it in a silo, you end up, well, you end up with a siloed approach uh, and, and, and a bit of a, you get blindsided. Mm. But you're, you're looking up and down your hierarchy. Who's above you? Who's below you? Whereas really you should be looking along the process and thinking, where am I getting my inputs and what are my outputs? 
and how can we stitch that together and that's that's the kind of role you want someone coming along and doing he's saying mm. this is all possible that the, the the tech's not the hard part right? yeah. <laughs> the tech's all there the enablement of it the persuasion yeah. The, the budget, the finance, yeah. the, the, the change, getting all that done is the hard part, right? The tech is never, nowadays, is never the hard part. Yeah. So, so when you're doing that, then, are you working with other departments uh, within the firm? Are you working with the front office? Are you working with uh, operations? Like who else is involved as this is all going on as you're trying to get everyone out of silos? Yeah, I think it depends. It, it depends what you're trying to do um, and who you're trying to sell it to um, mm. and who's part of the journey. Um, there are aspects of um, compliance where, you know, it is just compliance, but increasingly, you know, so if you look at, um, say, the, um, the horizon scanning piece from, from regulators, there are multiple teams. Right? You've got the compliance team and they've got a broad area within compliance, compliance monitoring, compliance advisory, you know, you've got AML teams, you've got a lot within compliance, but then you've got the regulatory change teams, um, depending on whether your compliance teams deliver the project. So if you've, if you've got a MIFID project, who rolls that out to uh, across the firm? Often not always compliance, they're part of the project, but you've got a regulatory change team. So they need to know what's coming from a regulatory horizon scanning. Then mm-hmm. you've got the risk teams who are, who are interested in it as well. And increasingly, you find that more and more people want to know, even the front office, because the front office have got their clients saying to them, What's happening in the regulatory space? And that might not necessarily be our job. We're still asking for it. And so therefore, all the way along the process, people are interested in regulation because we're in a highly regulated industry. So when regulation changes, why would you not want to flow it throughout the organization? But you, you, know, you start small, start with compliance. You probably need to include risk. You may be including legal, reg change, reg reporting, and then you roll it out to those mm-hmm. and then see where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. So, so if you've so if you've done all that hard work and you, you've you've essentially now got the uh, compliance on board and now you're going to start to bring technology into the firm, you how how do you actually go about buying it? Um, uh, how do you get to the point where you can actually start to deploy the technology that's going to you know, run these systems and, and change these processes uh, for the better? Yeah, and it's, it's a good it's a good one because there are there are a number of ways of doing it. Um, you've got your standard kind. Most companies, most large companies, got their kind of RFI RFP process, um, which is defined by the procurement departments. Um, so you can jump into that process. That can you know can often be a, a kind of window shop of every application out there that. Um, is or pretends to be able to help you. So RFIs, you know, you can end up with like 15 different vendors and then you're into an RFP, you maybe shrink those down to five or six. They're not easy to do, they can take a long time. Um, they're full of sort of scoring techniques and, and then you just have to like dedicate the time to them. Um, they can take a long time to do. And, and it is, we often sort of like use the words, it's a bit of a beauty parade right because it's the salesman and the salesman unfortunately will will sell you you know they'll tell you that it will solve all your problems and so it really comes down to you internally how you you've got to have the right people in those meetings to make mm. sure that you really are asking the right questions and you've got to get very focused around it um you've got to work within the process that the, the procurement teams put in in place you've got to have the right people at the meetings you've got to make sure you're asking the right questions scoring it correctly and then going through a process to choose whichever one you want. Um, I think the problem with that is that often at the end of the day, there's that process doesn't allow you to go for a test drive mm-hmm. as you do with your car. Um, and you're kind of just looking through the window and everyone knows windows are dressed up really nicely, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, does, is it really going to fit? Is that really going to be the right one for you? Did I really get to see enough of it? You know, was the demo led by the sales team who kind of, you know, made lots of promises? Or did you even see a version that's not actually out there yet, but it mm-hmm. is a promised version for a year's time, that type of thing. So th- there's, a, there's a lot in that space. And the RFI RFPs can take a long time. And I've seen RFPs, um, RFPs themselves take six months, let mm-hmm. alone the RFI. You yeah. can do it faster. So that's that's one way. And I think it's 
these days, with the fact that no one wants to take six months just just to have a load of meetings with a load of vendors, we've mm-hmm. got to start challenging how that process works. Another way is whether you've got incumbent um, systems in, so your, your strategy then becomes, um, are you going with somebody who's already in the building mm-hmm. and has an application? Um, do you want to have another vendor? Otherwise, you could end up with like vendor. You know, if you've got a you've got a process that that the like regulatory change, and you maybe identify that you need six applications. Do you want six vendors? You've got to manage six mm-hmm. vendors. Whereas if you've got an incumbent in, and they have a module, and you're happy with that incumbent, do you do you shortcut the process? Mm-hmm. Maybe you have an RFP that only has three. Your incumbent and a couple of others just to keep things sort of like competitive and to make sure that you're not buying a module that actually doesn't work because it hasn't been proved out properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one way. And then of course the other way is um, that I've tried is you just go with a proof of concept and a pilot with something that you know. Now that kind of relies on somebody in the reg tech space who knows what's going on in the reg tech space. Mm-hmm. So you know, if I look back at some of the stuff I did, I was out in the marketplace going and looking at these things. So as we said, I was I was out there scouting ahead of time. So I was able to come back and say, well, I've seen this and I know the process. I think this works quite well. Why don't we try it as a proof of concept? And again, that then sometimes clashes with the the, the procurement process. But yeah. it can work, and it can work quite well. Well, just just going back to the RFP process uh, for a moment, because you know we still see um, a, a lot of that going on, um, and that's a fairly traditional approach, um, I think, for firms to buy. And sometimes it's kind of mandated by uh, the procurement team that there has to be an RFP process in place. Um, sometimes e- even if there's a sense that um, a, a decision has partly already been made in terms of what's a good fit for the uh, organisation. But for those RFPs that are created then, who's involved in in writing them, you know, in your experience? Uh, writing which bit? Well, drawing out the, the business requirements, understanding uh, all the technology requirements in there. And I guess as well as writing them, though, this scoring that that sits in the background and you know from um reg text perspective you know what we try to understand as much as possible is um how much of this is about you know technology fit how much of this is about um end user functionality um how much this is about cost as well and and that's the other thing and not just necessarily licensing costs but the implementation costs and everything goes along with it I guess that's more my question really is how what's the balance of the weighting uh, of all of these different elements uh well it did it definitely has to solve the problem um mm-hmm. and, and that's your key is understanding what the problem is you're trying to fix and why you need something to come in to fix that problem so then the person who's really front and center for pushing that rfp process Mm. Do they really understand the, the, the problem, right? And can you pull in the subject matter experts to help you clearly define the problem and get in the room with the vendors so that when something occurs, and I've run, we've run some of these, I've run some of these before very successfully where, you know, you've, you've, you've said to the vendor, no, we need a demo and we need a real demo. Mm-hmm. And we really need to see it. And we have the right people in the room and those people are able to interrogate mm-hmm. the vendors to really get down to the nitty-gritty of it mm-hmm. and it's at that stage that you can say right yes or no whether you're getting a good feeling whether this is just sort of smoke and mirrors or whether the the application really is solving and you start getting a good feeling it's yeah. like anything like it's like a, having a good conversation with somebody if it's going well mm-hmm. it's going well if yeah. you're struggling to sort of string string a sentence together or have a conversation like something's wrong yeah. and and you can see that with and, and sometimes it's not it's not the application it's just it's slightly you know, sell side, buy side, asset manager, uh, bank, right? Retail bank, commercial bank, international bank. It, it can be slightly just the lens is not quite right for what you're trying to do. Mm. Um, but I think it's all about, it should all be about the problem. And then you've got the other elements which will ultimately come into it, right? Because yes, it could solve the problem. Um, and, you know, if you need a car, uh, a Rolls Royce solves your problem, okay? but not many people can afford it. 
So you've got that side of things. And then the other side of thing being, of course, the, um, the quality of the build, the, you know, the, the technology element, the sort of security, you know, last thing anybody, especially nowadays with all the cybersecurity stuff, is you put something in and it's just filled with security holes. Mm. Uh, you know, your security team is just going to go, don't care whether it's the absolute best application. If it's full of security holes, we, we just can't afford to let the hackers in. So mm. it's not going to happen. So you focus on that problem and then you start focusing on the bits like you know, how much it's going to cost and the security elements um, around it as well. And, and there's something around um, the vendor themselves, how big they are, you know, how robust they are, their kind of um, their roadmap for change, um, because you might be buying something now, but the likelihood is you're, you're signing up for probably a few years. Mm -hmm hoping this product is going to continue evolving with the market because um, yeah, everything changes. So you want to make sure that you, you can see all these things in the, in the response essentially to the RFP. Yeah, and, and, and that can take, uh, can take a long time, right? Yeah. If, you're, if you're dealing, unless you're dealing with something quite simple, that's not easy. Um, you think about what's happening in the compliance space, trade surveillance, comm surveillance, mm. uh, policy management, Recorize and scanning, none of these things are small. They're all quite complex. So of course, being able to pull all that together um, and, and, and drive it um, can take a while in a, in a kind of RFP, RFI type of, type of process. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the proof of concept then is, is another kind of means to, to, to bring the technology into the organization, or at least to, to understand you know, if it's the right fit. So you know, proof of concept for, um, you know, RegTex, I think for a lot of firms tends to be quite a preferred route. Uh, like you say, I think it's in order to see, does this fit? Um, do, do, does it have that um, kind of seal of approval from uh, users as well? Um, can the product do what essentially the organization says it can do? I think for uh, certainly my experience, um, there's some very good examples of POCs, and then there are a lot of very bad examples of POCs. And, and often there's there's some reluctance to get involved in a, a POC uh, process if, from the outset, we can see that it's not particularly well planned. It doesn't really have a um, a, a route to anyone in the end signing a contract and implementing the solution. Sometimes POCs are you know, talked about, but really it's just, they're just demos, extended demos that, that, that people are looking for. So when you're talking about proof of concept and where you've seen them be successful, um, what do they look like? How do you plan that out? So I think where, where I've done it before, um, I've, seen, I've seen the demos any number of times, three, mm -hmm. four times. I'm doing that scouting. I'm, based on my knowledge, which will often be less than the sort of like 25 year, you know, uh, compliance veteran, but based on my knowledge and I keep on going, I'll ask the questions and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see the demo. So I, I'm, I'm taking very little of the vendor's time. You know, the, most vendors are happy to sort of like show you the demos and market their, their tools. You spend time checking and rechecking and going back. And even uh, the way I've done it is even I start taking my SMEs along. So look, you know, they're, they're keen, they're, they're happy to show you a demo. We go, we show the demo, we show the demo, we show the demo. You keep on showing it because vendors are often quite happy. You go in for an hour, they show you the demo, you come out, you take some more people. Um, it doesn't take up a massive amount of time. Um, and especially with uh, with tools like, you know, Teams and Zoom, you, you can often sort of like do it uh, from the office. You don't necessarily all need to go down to, to their offices, but you start getting a sense. And, and, and I'm only putting things forward if I am reasonably sure that I know that it's going to start meeting what people what people need. Therefore, when you start getting to the POC, you're really, it's, it's really a live environment. You're really sort of testing out the actual software because everyone's, everyone's getting excited now. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's often the key is getting to the point where people are like, well, could, you know, and I've had people sort of say, can't we, can't we try this out? And people want mm. to try and then you say well and, and i always believe you get what you pay for so when people go oh let's just get them to give it to us for free 
Um, yeah, there aren't many things in life that come for free that are worth kind of having. Mm. So I think you should, you should pay you should pay for them because I think you get that input, you get that um, from the the vendor that they're you know, and, and also you can step away because if it isn't right, mm. you step away. Actually, it's not always that expensive, right? You're spinning up a cloud environment, you're putting a little bit of data in, you're running a POC for four to six weeks. It's not hugely expensive in the scheme of things of buying a, a, a big application, but you're in, you're getting it done. And so then you need to plan for it. It has to be right. What is it we're trying to achieve? What are we going to do in the POC? We can't cover everything in six weeks. So what we're often doing is you're, you're trying something and then can you extrapolate it to the other scenarios. Mm. So if you're doing a Rake Horizon scanning, you don't necessarily need to get the feeds in from, you know, 100 worldwide regulators. You can get them in from two and three and extrapolate that if it works for the two or three, the likelihood is it will work for all the others, right? Mm -hmm. um, communication surveillance, lots of communication channels. If you do it for one, extrapolate that it will work for the others, even though some of the others may be, may be complex. So you're then very, very focused around what you need to do. And, and again, the key here is the people who are actually going to be saying yes or no, because I'm, I'm not the expert. I'm not the one doing the job. So I found this thing. I think it's going to work. I've had you come along and see the demo. You're kind of quite excited by it. But ultimately, if we implement it, it's you who's doing the day job, not me. So, of course, then at the POC or the pilot, you've, you've got to have that person there really giving it a good test drive to make sure mm -hmm. it is right. And then I think the other thing is people, people, get, people get excited by um, the bright, shiny lights, right? And they forget about how they're going to assess the POC. Yeah. Then you get to the end of the POC. No one's worked out right. What, 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 what's, what's the acceptance criteria? You've got to do all that beforehand, so that as you're going through, your project manager or whoever's running this is going. After the first week, are we seeing what we thought we were seeing? Yes, no. If we're not, why not? Is there something going wrong? Second week, third week. You're assessing it as you're going along and building up your um, your feeling about the application. Rather than you get to the end, everyone goes, well, that was a great drive, yeah? Um, are we buying this thing or not? And everyone goes, oh, well, I was kind of concentrating on the road and just having a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure. I need I to do it again. Right? <laughs> I, I think that's that, that's that's often um, the hesitation that I, I think um, sometimes I have with getting into the, the proof of concept uh, process because, like you just said, what, what really that, that, that proof of concept should be just that is, is to prove now that everything we said we could do, we can do, and that, you know, we're going to fit within your environment. Um, and ultimately, the, the, the technology is now going to, to solve those problems that, you know, were initially identified. So we want to have a, um, a plan that's built around uh, those particular problems and those requirements that have been developed. Um, we then want a success criteria that we're going to mark uh, against. And if we can do that, if we come out at the other end after four weeks or six weeks or however long it lasts, um, and we say, yes, we have successfully proven that the technology will do what we said it would do and it solves all these problems. The expectation at that point then is that, well, now we move to you know, the next stage, which is now we're gonna sign a contract and we're gonna to move to production implementation. I think all too often what happens is we get through that process and then we say, great, well, we did what we said we would do and we're at the end now. And then everyone starts looking at each other and we think, well, do we sign a contract now? Uh, is there a budget in place? And, and that's where things then suddenly start to cool off and, and, and end. And I think that ideally all of that would be set up you know, long before so that actually you, you just start to move through from proof of concept into implementation. It would be ideal. <laughs> well, and, and, and that should happen, right? The governance should be in place. Mm. I've, I don't think I've ever done a pilot or a POC where I've not said, you know, to my boss, if this works, this will solve our problem. And is this a priority? The answer should be yes. Do we have the budget in the change budget to do it? The answer should be yes. And so therefore, when you get to the end of the POC and, we, and, and the SME says, this is great, this solves our problem, you then go up the governance chain and say, right, we have now found something. And then you're your senior, 
the ones with, you know, the ones holding the purse string say, right, so this is a priority of mine. I need to get this solved mm-hmm. and I have some budget to, to, to do it. Tell me what happened on the POC. Tell me the good, the bad and the ugly. And you come along and you say, right, this is what we found. This, yes, it works. No, it doesn't, whatever. But you pitch it. We, you've got to understand the business case. Right? There's got to be a business case behind it to spend the dollars in the first place. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be rocket science, right? If and, and that's that's the problem with who is doing the proof of concept? Because if it's just a head of department who fancies having a look at some technology, but yeah. they haven't got that kind of roadmap in place. Oh, yeah, can you just um, spin us up an environment so we can just have a bit of a play? And then you do that, end of the POC, and, and the, the head of the department says, well, yeah, I suppose I'll go and speak to somebody. Well, then, hold on. You know, mm-hmm. you find out it's not a priority. There's no budget. We've spent the money elsewhere. We're doing something different. Why are you speaking to these guys, <laughs> right? You haven't gone through the RFP process. Procurement don't like you anymore, right? You, 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 that's the job, right? You've got to work out. I mean, when, when, I've, when I've done POCs and not done RFPs, I've had to have the conversation with procurement. Mm-hmm. I sat down with them and they've said, why are you not doing RFP? This is why I'm not doing RFP. And there's always been a reason, not just because David Cowan fancied, you know, playing with some technology. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. So you've, got, you, 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 you've got to consider all these, all these bits and pieces. So there's, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes before you get to the point and the vendor says, yeah, we've spun up the environment for you to, to have a go. Yeah. It's not, it, that, it should never be that. If you're ever having a conversation with somebody and they sort of say, oh, well, I, I saw a demo yesterday. Could you spin me something up tomorrow? The answer is probably no, because they probably haven't done all that work to understand where it's going to take them and where it sits in the strategy. That's the other thing, of course. So when you're, in, when you're then taking this thing, it's often just the foundation. It's often just the beginning. Mm. And then what's next? How are we building on this? Where are we taking it after this? Where does it fit in to the overall user journey? So what, what, what's the, so how is that constructed? I mean, is that all built around, you mentioned the business case. I mean, is the, is that, uh, is that business case then the center of all of these things? Is that what is collecting the requirements, the, um, the, the you know, what's been seen in POC and demo and what the ROI around this is? I think the thing you have to understand is that these is not the only things going on. Mm-hmm. Even if you just if you take a compliance risk legal department, they've all got stuff going on. They've all got demands. You know, the legal team, uh, document management. Um, you know, various uh, legal knowledge. You've got risk teams looking at settlement risk, liquidity risk, risk events. Uh, you know, uh, control self assessments. There is a landscape full of demands. Mm-hmm. and you know what's at the top of the priority right <laughs> because people will sort of say oh it's all a priority yeah, but there's not enough money in the world to do mm-hmm. it and this and this is and, and this is the back office right this is the second line of defense meanwhile you've got the front office going why don't we spend our dollars on revenue right? mm-hmm. building revenue because that's what you know what profits pays all our salaries okay yes but you've got to be compliant mm-hmm. um, but it's always that balancing situation of, yeah, of course, the compliance and risk departments could just go off and spend, merrily spend millions mm. on brand systems. It's not always possible. And so you're looking at, you know, where is the priority and, and what are you trying to achieve? You know, and if, if it's cost reduction because your compliance department, you're hiring more and more people because it's all manual. Okay, there you go. There's a very good business case that you can sell to the front office. I'm afraid we're going to have to carry on hiring people because we're doing this stuff manually. Right, okay, well, don't do that. Get a system, you know, and and cut off that need to hire. Is it end of technology? This is end of life. It doesn't work anymore. We need something new. Okay, well, we can't go back to being manual, so we need to do that. Um, There's those kind of demands that are coming in and you're constantly juggling, I think, in a compliance risk environment. What is the priority? And you've got the regulators as well coming in on this and sort of saying to you, are you looking at transaction reporting? Are you looking at, you know, communication surveillance? AML is always a threat. No, your customer. They're all there. And they're all fraud, um, anti-bribery and corruption. It's all there. Um, Mm. 
and you could just spend and spend and spend and spend and spend right on new tech of course you know we, we, all, we all we all could the moment you buy your tv you know it's it's out of date mm-hmm. yeah, you could just you know and, and of course you, you don't do that you you look at stuff and you think okay that's that is good enough for our needs right now. It, 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 it solves our problem. It does what we need it to do. That is not the priority. And of course, the world's, the world's got into that kind of um, space of the need, you know, the world's changing so fast. Things are moving on so fast. Constantly, everything's constantly needing upgrades and versions and, and mm. stuff. So you've got to, re- again, it all comes back to the problem. What is the problem you are trying to solve and why? Mm-hmm. How big a problem is it? How big a priority is it for your company? Because, you know, there's that whole adage of what it says: if it's if it's not broken, don't fix it. Which is fine, as long as you're not carrying on with something that you know is going to break at some point, and then you're going to be a mad rush to try and fix it. So, of course, it's trying to keep your eyes on all those spinning plates and tackle the you know the highest priority ones first. Yeah, and I, I suppose, and there's that old adage of you know if you think compliance is expensive, you should try non-compliance. <laughs> yes. um, and and uh, I think yeah, that, that's, that's like kind that of that's a good that's a good one because yeah, the first the first time you get fined sort of like twenty million, yeah, you wish you spent a million um, on on a system, right? So yes, yeah. well, it, and, it, and it's a bit like insurance, you know. I'm sure um, someone that crashed their car that only got third party insurance wish, wishes after the fact that they had actually yeah. taken the, the full package. But I think that that's where we try and look. And I think we, we kind of recognize that in, uh, in RegTech that you know, often the drivers for um, firms taking on our solutions um, are quite reactionary. It's because of something that's happened with the regulator. Um, it's um, impending. Uh, action that, that's taking place. It might be that there's significant regulatory change on the horizon that, that is going to have to require this sort of technology. But I think for a, a lot of the solutions, um, there's an argument that they actually drive more efficiency within the compliance department itself. And it's something that the rest of the organisation will, will benefit from. And I think that sometimes that's that's some of the hardest, um, some of the hardest sell to make. Um, is actually to determine you know, to what extent is this um, going to make the organisation more efficient uh, and kind of what's the payoff or what's the ROI around that. And uh, for some of us, you know, we've got some stats around that, some don't. But I guess the, the question is, and it sounds like kind of what you're saying is that for a lot of these things, given the long list of uh, priorities that the organisation has, really to get to the top of that list, it's something that is going to result in impending pain or a pain that is already being suffered uh, quite badly within the organisation. Yeah, although, you know, so you're kind of caught between, you know, what's happening today and what do I need to fix today mm-hmm. and the burning fire I need to put out versus taking a kind of strategic approach. I think, you know, some of the things we've said, you know, just now about, you know, how, how compliance teams look at things are all completely relevant for today. Mm. Um, and for the next sort of like 12 months I think people have got to look to the future though um, things are changing fast with digital transformation um, with AI um, it's going to be very hard to do some of this stuff with artificial intelligence mm-hmm. if you've got um, solutions dotted around all over the place and your data isn't organized I think increasingly you will start seeing people starting to go, hold on, we need a bit of a strategy here. Where's mm. our data? Where are we storing it? How are we going along the, the journey, right? How are we tying these things together? You know, if, if something happens over here in system A, will it trigger something over here in, in, in system T, right? Yeah. Right down the process, right? And if they're all siloed and you're, and you're not, you're never, you're, you know, it's all about data now. It's all about being able to pull the data out, pull the insight out, and the only way to do that is to start doing some of the stuff we've been talking about is really to start putting some of these technologies in place, really understand the user journey, joining them up, whether they're all on one platform or whether you've got multiple parts, they've all got to be joined up one way or the other. And they won't, they won't work. Mm. They are if they're all separate because the AI is not going to be clever enough. You know, everyone goes, oh, AI is going to do it. It's not clever enough. 
it, you know, it, it sits over the top, but it relies on all the feeds. Mm. And so therefore, this stuff's got to be connected up at the bottom. So I think increasingly, you'll see more and more companies starting to go, well, yeah, we've got like 12 applications, none of them talk to each other. Mm. None of them follow one another, we're all siloed. We can't seem we can't seem to get our data out because it's all different in every application. And the um, and when we're trying to put our AI across it, we're having to do it for 12 applications because none of them are talking to each other. They're not any kind of data lake, there's no connectivity. You know, it's like it's like a layers of a cake, right? You've got a yeah. cake, you take the slice, you go all the way down from the user all the way down to the data store. Mm. And then you just put the process in place, but it all it's all part of the cake, right? It's all together. It's all there. You just have the slice of financial crime, com surveillance, market abuse, policy management, horizon scanning. You've got to start joining it all up. And I think mm. that, you know, as the years go by, we'll see that, you know, that starting to dawn on people that, okay, we really do need to focus a bit more on the strategy and maybe, you know, as much as we do on the, immediacy of the problem that needs to be solved by a rate tech solution yeah and, and i think it's we you know this week there was um the uh in the uk the serious fraud office um had come out to talk about the expectation now for compliance to be you know, really part of the dna for uh, all companies and, and obviously they're they're talking not just financial services companies but all companies um us regulators you know last year were quite vocal about they're um, talking to organisations about how they better use technology in order to um, ensure uh, higher standards of, of compliance as well. So I think in order to cut through all the complexity and all of those problems that you've just outlined, you know, technology is, is going to help that um, and is going to ultimately help the organisation to get themselves into a better state when it comes to being more efficient you know, and more agile and, and responsive to uh, regulatory changes. In order to, to, to get there, as they're, you know, all these things we've talked about, getting through a, a proof of concept, you know, where they're looking at RFPs to, to buy these things in, um, as they're going through these processes, who in the organisation should be involved in this? You know, who do you typically see as being you know, major decision makers in deciding what technology comes into the organisation and, and how it's used? Um, so... And it's it's not always not it's not always about um, oh you you need the head of compliance. No, I I think a lot of it because if your head of compliance doesn't understand technology or doesn't want to understand technology, you're you're, you're in an uphill struggle already, mm. right? Or if your technology person doesn't want to buy from a vendor and thinks that everything can be built in house, say, mm. um, I think a lot of it's about mindset. It's about so much of this about moving forward now is about finding the right mindset. And that person could be anywhere. They could be at the bottom of compliance. They'd be at the top of compliance. Mm. Often there's a gap in the middle. You can find the most junior compliance officer who's saying, why am I doing this? Why can't we do this? I've seen this and we could join this up. And, and you can also have, I've seen this, heads of compliance who aren't necessarily um, you know, great at technology, but they understand the need for change. They understand the need for innovation. Consequently, from your side, who do you need? You need somebody with the right mindset. Mm -hmm. How do you find that? Mm -hmm. And that's a lot about relationships and networks and finding finding those levers where someone is, you know, willing to say, "I, I want to make. It, I need to make a change." Yeah, maybe right at the bottom or right at the top of the organization. If they're passionate enough about it to drive it, the likelihood is they'll find the levers to get it done. They'll find the budget. They'll be able to work it. They'll be passionate about it. They'll keep on driving. Mm. Um, you, you definitely need your technology team involved and often your um, technology architects may be because of the technology strategy that's been set internally by the company. You know, are you going cloud? Are you going public cloud, private cloud? Are you still doing on-prem stuff? Um, although I doubt many people are still going to be doing on-prem stuff. Um, uh, you need the technology. You, you need to bring so many people along with you. Ideally, you want somebody who's got that. Got that. We need more people in the regulatory technology space with the passion 
mm. for the change. Compliance needs to change from you know uh, what business people are doing, and the technology needs to change, and some of the new technologies. Finding those right people that that often is you know you get the right person that will drive it, but yeah. it's finding the right person. Yeah, and, and that so typically that that would be you know we would refer to that person as our champion. You know that that's our that's our salesperson on the other side, and and the, the person that's. Um, you know, as you said, enthusiastic, passionate, really understands that um, what the technology can achieve in terms of um, forcing through lots of positive changes. I think the difficulty sometimes is that they don't always know what those processes are in their own organisation in terms of actually being able to uh, bring in a new solution. Um, and as you say, there can often be lots of people involved in that process uh, from IT through to obviously the compliance department but to you know change teams project managers um procurement of course as well so there's so much involved um, in trying to understand that landscape and, and kind of be guided uh, through it really and, and sometimes you know some organizations operate very differently to others so it's it's sometimes a challenge to understand what that environment looks like and, and how best to navigate it uh, def- absolutely um Sometimes people are very, um, they're very much in their own corner, you know, of mm-hmm. what they know. And, you, you know, I, I suppose I was fortunate in the fact that having been on both the business and the uh, technology side and the compliance side uh, over the years that I've done it, I've seen and done many things uh, across many projects mm-hmm. that I can start, start pulling together, you know, and I... I, I don't it's about understanding you know, you know you've got to do an external security review mm-hmm. it's knowing that right not just going oh well it, someone will do that at some point mm-hmm. external security re- reviews can take an elapsed time of 12 weeks in a big company because those guys are not sitting around doing nothing they're doing a lot of them you've got a big company they're doing a lot of everything's technology based they're doing mm-hmm. security reviews all the time so if you're not on top of it and uh, and going right what's the process when can we schedule you in procurement Working mm. with procurement, working with legal, mm. right? As you go through the contracts, how does the contract work? Is it our contract, their contract? How does it work? And and you've got to understand those things rather than going, well, yeah, show me a nice shiny screen, mm. Mr. Vendor. And um, oh yeah, oh, I don't know how the rest of this stuff works. And then suddenly, oh, it's 12, 12 months later, and you're still trying to struggle because you didn't bring people on board and and now people are trying to catch up. You need you need you need to bring you need to bring everybody along on the journey as much as yeah. possible. So it does require that individual, that champion, not only the champion of, of the technology, of solving the problem, of thinking differently, but also understanding how to navigate what's going on internally to be able to get things moving when, as you say, mm. coming towards an end, how long is it going to take to get a signature? Yeah, I think that's it. And, and it goes back to um, you know what we talked about around what makes that POC successful and it's understanding what that road looks like and all of the different um, hurdles that need to be overcome, all of the different people that need to be involved and, and departments and teams that need to be involved. And you know, if you can start to map that out at the beginning before you start the POC, um, then you have, you know, I think a much higher uh, chance of success because everything should be uh, properly planned out. We should know exactly what the problems are we're trying to solve. We should know what that criteria is that we're going to be judged against. And then we should know if we have a positive outcome, where where we go next, you know, where does the budget come from? Where does the contract come from? Um, uh, who's involved in, in kind of signing that off and who are all the various decision makers? And then of course, how do we now implement? So where's the project team involved in the uh, actual implementation as we start to get to BAU and then transition into, into support from there? So if we have that roadmap, um, I think we have a much higher chance of success. But you guys just have to remember that, you know, it's it's a it's a busy, mm. it's a busy world in a lot of these financial services organizations. Um, and there are a lot of things to tick off, and there's a lot of other things going on. There's a lot of BAU stuff going on um it does it does take a while it's it's not going to be a short process but yeah obviously yeah 
where you're uh, coming from as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we're talking, like, you know, ideal scenarios here, but I think that's going to the you know top of the uh, um, conversation. You know, why is the sales cycle kind of 12 to 18 months? You know, th this is why I think it, it takes 12 to 18 months because, you know, you're going from uh, growing that idea and, and um, showing um, compliance teams or, or new users, you know, what can be possible and then having to develop that internally, um, find those champions, start to develop, um, you know, whether it's RFPs or POCs, um, and ultimately, you know, that's what leads to this um, long sales cycle that we uh, are obviously involved with. But where, where did it, sorry, Dave. We haven't, even, we haven't even discussed that teams often make requirements um, too extensive, right? And you really need to focus on a kind of minimum viable product, you mm. know, we we're, we still see so many people caught up in or oh, in a how long is this project going to be? And it's not a project; it's a product. You are putting a product in place, and a product lives and breathes over many years, and it changes many times as things evolve and change. So you have to start thinking, right? So we just need something. We need a a product that covers the minimum we need mm -hmm. at a certain point that we are happy with, understanding that as soon as we get it in, things will evolve and it will change and there'll be new versions. And, you know, like anything with your, with, with, with your phone, if you look back, if you look back at when the first phones came out mm -hmm. and you said, right, this is going to be it, this is going to be the phone you're going to have in 20 years, you'd say, well, I don't want one, thanks very much. It's <laughs> the size of a brick, right? I'm not interested. But no one did that. Everyone realised that once they started, they would get smaller, they get faster, they get better. And we need to start doing the same in financial services organisations and stop thinking about projects and and think more about you know the product lifecycle and mm. how long we're going to have this for. And you want to partner and really partner with, uh, with each other so that um, the requirements on the, the, the client side are reflected, as you say, in the roadmap of the, um, of the technology firm. So where where does it all go wrong? Uh, where when you have these POCs, where you know have you seen um, things not end well in those POCs? Have you seen things fall down either because the vendors just not being able to live up to those expectations, or because things weren't planned well? We're all we're all human, right? <laughs> um, I've made mistakes, right, with stuff. Got one 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 thing is being too busy and trying to do too much. Again, that comes back to your lessons around being agile, right? And not doing too many things because you suddenly realize you're pushing too many things. Um, made that mistake before. Um, and, and, there and there also, there should be failures. Had one really good failure, which really opened up what the requirement was. Mm. And we hadn't seen that. And running the POC showed us that. Yeah. And it was short and sharp and didn't cost a lot of money. And people went, well, that's kind of fouled. Right? We haven't, we haven't, but that's what financial services is like. Right? Oh, no, my God, that's fouled. <laughs> oh, my God, we can't possibly have a failure. Meanwhile, Apple and Google are throwing a thousand things at the wall and hoping that one of them will stick and they'll make sort of like billions. Whereas we're like, oh, no, a 20,000 POC fouled. My God, we don't want to do that again. And you're like, no, you just got to keep on doing these things, right? And, but you've got to learn from them. And you've got to learn from them fast and you've got to learn from them reasonably cheaply. Now, we learned that from a, you know, a, a, a period. Of, and I said, this is not a failure. This shows us exactly we had focused. It wasn't that we were completely wrong, but we'd, we'd wrapped a problem up and as a whole. And actually, the problem was in two parts. Mm. And the POC was only showing us one part of it. And it wasn't going to show us the other part. And, and it shined a bright, shiny light on that. And we were like, we need this as well as the first part. Mm -hmm. And that was really good. So I was like, okay, so that's a success. But you can see a lot of people going, well, it's kind of, you've told us that we're not going to do it anymore and it's fouled and we need to move on, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's product lifecycle. That's design thinking. That's, you know, it's ideating and, and, mm -hmm. and doing things. And we moved and we did move on. And, and ultimately we were successful. Um, but yeah, it's not the world that um, it's not the world that financial services often lives in, yeah. in the same way that some of the big tech companies do, where it's kind of just keep throwing it right. One of these things mm. is going to work. And I remember going to a conference once, and you know, and the guy the guy standing at the front was from one of the big tech, and and he said, if you're not throwing 
thousands. He, he showed us one time what they were doing, and they were throwing thousands of ideas at the wall. Mm. And they said, we only need one mm. to stick. So he said, so if you're only throwing two or three, you've got to be very lucky. Mm. And so uh, they're kind of really stuck, <laughs> um, <laughs> really sort of stuck with me, um, that you've got to try these things and then, you know, not be afraid of failure. Mm. Because um, it's that, you know, when things go wrong, it's when you learn. Right? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that will start to change in financial services with the big yeah. tech influences? I think we get sort of philosophical now at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the pandemic has, I think it's been like other, you know, it's been a, it's, it's been a war, it's been a battle, right? It's, you know, everyone thought it was going to be over in, you know, the first lockdown. Mm. Here we are still, we're not talking about being out until June, potentially, you know, things going on in, in the winter. It's a, it's a real war. And I think it's really starting to change things. Um, and of course, it's, it's a generational thing. The younger generation's, want to do things different no one mm. wants to be stuck filling in a spreadsheet yeah. right? they, like, why am i doing this i'm not staying here so i think you know we, we could look back and see this as a pivotal moment as yeah. the sort of digital revolution really starts pushing stuff right in the next you know 10 years mm -hmm. my generation the gen x's are going to be you know retiring or fully retiring your millennials, your Gen Zs, the next generations, they're all digital natives. Everything's got to be connected. They're not going to switch from one application to another app going, why am I putting this in for the third time? Why yeah. is this application not connected and doing it? Why is this not all joined up? Why is it not AI? Why is it not all connected by APIs? Why am I not just sort of saying this is what needs to happen and it mm -hmm. flows out to all the applications and just happens? And I think that's what will drive the change. And I, I think increasingly you'll see those generations starting to, to demand that change. Yeah. Otherwise, they won't work for organisations that, yeah. that don't yeah. do that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And for, for those that aren't necessarily adopting it right now, certainly they'll find over the next few years that they start to perhaps fall behind those organisations that are really taking this uh, new technology on board. Good stuff. Well, we're just coming up to, to time now, David. I mean, just before we, we finish up, what would be your advice for, you know, today's Friday, we've got a nice sunny weekend, hopefully ahead of us. So for those reg techs eager to start work on Monday morning, what would be your advice for them and how they engage with um, with their prospects and, and new customers? Um, so I think it's less about the sell and more about finding the problem that someone wants fixing, as well as also about the thought leadership, yeah. right? So I don't, I never wanted someone to sell me something, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I was inside trying to sort out problems mm -hmm. and I needed the thought leadership to help me understand where things were going. So I've got, you know, so again, what was we said before, the immediacy of the problem and the burning fire you're trying to put out, mm -hmm. as well as the longer term strategy of how to draw all this stuff together. So don't, don't someone's selling you something, you need somebody coming in and understanding your problem. Yeah. And then again, where the technology will take me in terms of, I've just put out this burning fire, I don't want to be putting out burning fires all the time, right? Yeah. So you need to, they need to start joining those two things together and finding the right like-minded individuals who can, you know, open the doors for them by saying, you know, yeah, we're not here to sell you something. We're here to solve problems. Out. We're here to understand your problems and help you solve your problems and put a more longer-term strategy in place so you don't keep getting these problems. Yeah, yeah. No, it's sage advice. And, uh, yeah, hear you loud and clear there. I think... Uh, yeah, many of us would agree, you know, that's really what we want to focus on as much as we can. Sometimes it's uh, it takes time to really kind of unearth a, a lot of those uh, real problems in, in the firm, but it's definitely yeah. worth the effort. If it's easy. Right? Yeah, well, we'd all be Everything doing it. <laughs> exactly. It's not easy stuff. It's complex stuff, right? And yeah. it isn't easy to do. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, David, as always, Fantastic to chat with you. Um, I think it's been a, a really useful uh, talk and I think for 
you know, all of us on the uh, vendor side, on the regtech side, you know, getting involved with POCs, working with RFPs, um, better understanding the uh, process on the inside and, you know, how to uh, determine what those priorities are and how to unearth those problems is, is kind of key to success for everyone. So it's been really, really good to speak with you and thanks very much for sharing so much with us today. Oh, it's, it's, it's been great, David. Always always good to catch up and have these these debates and these discussions <laughs> up for those. It's always, uh, it, it's easy to talk about and it's hard to sometimes to actually put them into a practice and make them happen. But um, I think if we carry on talking about them and, and we get people's different perspectives, then hopefully we move forward. Absolutely, absolutely. Great. Well, until next time, enjoy the weekend. Take care. You too. Sorry, you too. Thank you.